Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions. And a snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's selling free demo shirts, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Run around screaming free demo um, in more ways than one this week uh, with some uh, delayed, interestingly timed, interestingly sourced news of course um always curious when you know a, a news uh, incident has time to uh fully reach term of nine months and and then be birthed on a specific week uh but nonetheless here we are uh free demo the man in all ways that i can really honestly conjure has done nothing wrong i didn't think about the timing before but both both his child and this marijuana ticket that he received uh, <laughs> were both fully gestated uh, nine months to be exact so uh, we are going to talk more about the DeMarvian Overshown ejection and appeal here in just a little bit but uh, if you're not keeping up the internet was ablaze for about two hours because uh, well people were upset that Texas Longhorn defensive star DeMarvian Overshown was according to a certain reporter who since deleted the tweet and the article uh, arrested air quotes for um for having less than two ounces of marijuana on his person uh come to find out he was pulled over for speeding and was then ticketed and had like a delayed like show up to the court uh situation that he apparently miscommunication with the judge and his lawyer he did not show up for today because well he had practice uh and so due to that miscommunication there was a whole thing but anywho long story short um a lot of pearls were clutched there's a long conversation to be had about marijuana laws in the united states and enforcement thereof but it was a weird afternoon you know it's it's if you're offline stories come and die in cycles and you may miss the the entirety of it um gerald and i are clinically online and news breaks and painfully, <laughs> painfully. and uh and news stories break and before they have a time to die we tweet and get people tweeting at us and uh get invested and in, in try to come up with theories and and then they, they're gone um fleeting like uh like like um sand in the wind is that a saying i don't know something in the wind uh leaf in the in the breeze who knows um it, it is it is uh, come and gone I, I i you know what i like i love the arm bandit gimmick i love his personality his endorsements uh that that he's generally done but like he's demarvin overstrom just seems like he's a really fun guy like he seems like he would be fun to hang out with his like willingness to roll with this and and, and tweet out the gif of of you know, in, implying he served his time with his his head held high, um, <laughs> like it, you got to laugh, and I appreciate a man who takes it all in stride, laughs it off, and hopefully then immediately focuses back on on the the task at hand. I mean, like the the elite comedy. Uh, if 
some of you may recall the video he tweeted out when Tom Herman was unexpectedly fired uh, and how hilarious it was. Uh, if not, it's fine. We'll just let that one uh, fade with the sands of time to keep Kyle's sand metaphor going. We're not here to talk about arrests. We're here to talk about an arresting performance Ooh. on the field. Thank you for that professional segue. Texas. Was 21 on Saturday, ranked 21 on Saturday, now 22, dropped a spot with a win. It's fine. But they absolutely uh, crockpotted UTSA 41 to 20. Remember, Kyle, good teams win, great teams cover. Uh, Texas 3 0 against the spread this year. Uh, first time, I think, in something like eight years, the nine years that they've started off the season like that. So, um, you know. Can only go go up from here. You you did mention they dropped as well in this one. Um, they dropped, but are ahead of the Aggies in both polls by one spot, which just feels like both the coaches and AP are trolling for clicks at this point. Like BuzzFeed running the polls over here. I I respect the heck out of it. Um, but yes, they are ahead of um, preseason playoff favorites. The fight in Texas and the Aggies. We'll talk about them later. But talking about schools in the UT system. Gerald. This was uh, this was a tale of two halves. We talked about it on our immediate kind of post uh, breakdown. I was when I went back and looked at it, I was a little shocked to see it was the inverse of the score from the Arkansas Texas game in Week Two last year. Which you know we talked about that one as Arkansas just blew the hinges off of Texas. They utterly dominated. It was only one team on the field, and then this one, you know. I think we should have kind of the same view and not to say that UTSA didn't um, didn't give Texas everything they could handle in the first half and, and, and really come out and, and, and throw some haymakers and execute and do some things right. Um, but I did feel like a lot of the kind of, and this is just because it's Texas, a lot of the immediate aftermath from Sooner fans, Aggie fans, other fans was, you know, well, if Texas really was any good, they wouldn't have had even a half of, of letting UTSA be close to them, right? So it's all narrative, right? If it's Texas, whichever way it goes, it will be spun against them. But, I mean, ultimately a 41-20 win is, if we're using the Arkansas game from previous, if we're using kind of what some other teams did uh, to their opponents in, in around the country this week, that is that is a schlacking, right? You covered a large spread, you know, health, uh, like uh, confidently, right? Unless they got a garbage second team touchdown there at the end um and you know texas settled for a field goal it could have been a little bit wider could have been greater than three scores i think this was a healthy healthy win and it, a lot of it came because texas said okay enough we're texas right and it took until the summer around the third quarter when they did that um but they finally just went out and out athleted and out talented utsa in that second half yeah, I mean that's that's usually when you see the crockpottings happen is because the athletes of one one school are just superior to the athletes of another, and I think part of it was that right. Part of it was just athletes won out. UTSA is if you thought Texas was paper thin at some spots, UTSA is like microscopic at some spots, and just injuries are a part of football, and UTSA has gotten absolutely blasted by them. Uh, so they didn't have much margin to begin with, and they've I think they're down to walk-on offensive linemen at this point, like legitimately. It's not even a joke. But I also think there's something to be said about the adjustments and the mindset shift that Texas had in this game. We talked about it on, on Saturday immediately following the game, but – we saw something look different with Texas where they were missing tackles early in the, in the first in the, early in the game in the first quarter playing kind of lethargic. 
when they came out of the locker room at halftime, and really after that, like after that batted down pass that should have that should have been batted down, Ryan Watts missed it on the the double pass. Right um, after that, it seemed like something shifted in the team. And Steve Sarkeesian talked about it post game, but like they kind of were just like we gritted our teeth and we decided we weren't going to lose this game, and they didn't. And that's part of the transformation and the cultural shift that we've been talking about that Steve Sarkeesian had to come up with. And it started to, again, feel like that thing is happening. Last week, it felt the same way, where Texas got punched in the mouth over and over and over again and responded. And this one, again, it feels like a game where in years past, Texas would have would have gotten scared. They would have thought, oh, no, it's happening again. And then it happens again. And for Texas to come out and be able to to change the narrative of the game and seize control and shut the door in a way that I haven't seen it, right? Like, I remember you and I were texting during the game. We were like, Something, somebody's got to, somebody on the defense is going to have to make a play because the offense is struggling right now. And then the next drive, defense, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week, Jade Barron, takes one the other direction, right? And then we were talking about it. Texas got to stop after the DeMarvian overshone ejection, which BS, we'll talk about in just a minute. After that, they got to stop. They, they came up with a big, a big third down stop to force a punt. And Bijan says, I'm closing the door here. Kids, we're done, right? And they took his helmet because he almost hit 200 yards, right? But like, that is the differentiator for this team, I think. Where, whereas last year, it felt like everybody was waiting for the other shoe to drop. This team is waiting to drop the guillotine on somebody. And that, to me, is the difference. Yeah, I mean, as much as I, I had some some quibbles with the uh, the, the Longhorn Network coverage of the game. Uh, my guy <laughs> you Lowell, and everybody else. My guy Lowell. It's, it, play-by-play is just not your strength. Um, but uh, one thing that they really drove home and, and you know beleaguered a bit before the game was that in order for the Alabama game to mean something Texas would have to have a performance in this one where you build on it and it's not the Herman era of we get up and then we come back down to the level of our competition and in the first half it looked like they may have we said it you know on our on our our reaction podcast and, and I'll, I'll just briefly say it again here there is a script that a team who is a underdog going into, you know, a much favored uh, opponent's home under the lights. Like, there, there is a playbook that you execute to try to win that game. And, and to UTSA's credit, and again, Trailer is a heck of a coach, um, they drilled it and they executed it. They had a touchdown VA trick play that came after an onside kick that was, you know, unsuspecting. They, they had... Um, you know, took a long drive right at the beginning to 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 kind of take some of the wind out of the crowd, and um, they 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 really kind of did everything right. And and Texas in the past, and it looked like in the in the current for two quarters would not have like Gerald, like you said, would not have capitalized on the Alabama you know closeness, the the distaste for a loss that should come, no matter what the number is next to the team, they would let that slip. Um, and then, like you said, it was Bijan. Ultimately, um, a lot of credit to me goes to Roshan. There were points in the first half yep. when it felt like there wasn't anyone on the defense who was who was able to you know take it over, even on the offense with Card being limited and, and therefore Sark's game planning looking a little bit you know limited. Um, it was Roshan Johnson, right? It was it was Card basically doing handoffs outside of the pocket, right? His passes were, we'll talk about, pretty short. Um, and then guys doing something with it. In the, in the first half, it was Roshan Johnson who just refused to lose. And I think that ethos, Gerald, one of the best tweets I've seen from our account, which, again, if you're not following at this point, I don't know what you're doing, um, but was the, uh, was the um, I'll let you explain it, but basically the, uh, it, it, you, you will care. If I can't make you play hard, 
but I will I can carry you uh Lord of the Rings uh which perfect it was a perfect tweet I mean if there if there is a Sam Samwise on the UT team a guy that you just dependable hearts in the right place like guy you could set your watch to like want to be your best friend it's it's Roshan Johnson right and like I know Texas elects its captains weekly but like let's just let's just pencil in Roshan every week like let's just let's just do it let's talk specifics though Kyle we've talked at a pretty high level uh, offensively Texas got it done on the ground Hudson Card uh, obviously limited not super limited he flashed his feet a little bit uh picked up a long drive to a long scramble to keep a drive alive and keep texas moving in the right direction um but again he was perfect on the screens and in the the passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage which is nice uh it was eight for nine there but texas was unable to push the ball down the field which uh, is a big part of the offense and a big part of what steve sarkeesian likes to do so uh, i'm curious to see what it looks like in the future but for this for this week uh, keeping the ball close to the line of scrimmage and kind of getting players out in space was the uh, topic du jour for the offense yeah, I mean, think back to that Kansas State game last year where also Bijan was out and Roshan truly wildcatted it and just took over, right? This was a not quite as drastic, but, I mean, they only t- attempted five passes. They were three for five for 21 yards passing in the second half. There was a very clear notion that said, we're going to run it. Like, we're, we're going to just run these guys over, through them, around them um, with our two best, you know, rushers of the football. We're going to give Roshan a bunch. We're going to give Bijan a bunch, and we're just going to run it. And they really, truly did. Um that stat you said nine for nine on screens, eight for nine on passes behind the line of scrimmage. Only seven of his twenty-three attempts even went more than ten yards down the field. Right, one for five on passes of twenty or more. He found Whittington uh, on one that that he uh, added a little uh, yak afterwards and got it to like a twenty-six yard gain, but it went basically twenty yards exactly. Um, but you know, a little worrying uh, there, just that the lack of deep ball, right? When you have a threat like Worthy, he did some things with some yak, but he, he, two cards credit, he did what was asked of him and um, made one of the bigger plays, right? You talked about the Bijan nail in the coffin run. Card had a 32-yard scramble on a second and 22, right? And immediately the next play after was Bijan's third and final touchdown that put the game away. So um, in addition to his 161 through the air, which again, a lot of that is yak, um, 35 on the ground, nice, solid no turnovers good day right like you know what he couldn't do so what could he do and then Sark made the most of of that and again to to, to talk about the passing game in a game that was obviously dominated by the run feels silly but it was important just to look at how Texas ultimately thawed out you know the the pretty first half stifling UTSA run defense where they keyed and said we'll just you know, double spy Bijan and have guys crashing down on him every run. Well, and I think when the reason why I think it makes sense to talk about the the passing game and the short passes here is because those are basically just long handoffs, right? That is that is Steve Sarkeesian getting playmakers like Jordan Whittington, like Xavier Worthy, out in space, right? It's getting the ball to your receiver in space. Those are just essentially long handoffs, and I'm not meaning I'm not saying that facetiously. Like that is what those plays are, and so that's why it kind of fits into what Texas was trying to do in the in the running game, and so. Um, 
you know, we do have to talk about the running game because the running game uh, was absolutely incredible. Bijan did Bijan things in this one. 20 carries for 183 yards, three touchdowns at a whopping 9.2 yards per carry clip. Even if you cut out the 78-yard career long one, he was still averaging more than five yards a carry. So, like, it wasn't just like it was floated by a couple of big runs. Like, he just had a solid outing. Uh, Roshan Johnson did Roshan Johnson things and really did spark the offense. It was prison rules on a lot of uh, plays, but 11 <laughs> rushes for 81 yards. That's a 7.4 yards per carry total. And added in uh, three catches for t- uh, 23 yards and a touchdown, which is just absolutely incredible. Like, he killed it in that game. Yeah, I mean, my favorite stat of the night for Roshan was his three catches for 23 yards. He had 30 uh, yards after catch uh, on 23 total yards. So he was doing a lot of out. a lot of his work uh, catching balls behind the line of the scrimmage, right? That's that's what that means. And, uh, and so uh, just like, you know, there was one, he had a one-handed palm of a catch that like, again, that shows as a completion for the quarterback. It was basically just an athlete out doing athlete things. He hurdled a guy, um, you know, to get down into the, the goal line. Like, just just really made some some gutsy plays. I, I was having this conversation in two different group chats after the game. Somehow I still think Roshan is underrated as an all-time favorite Longhorn. Like, in the past 20 years, he's on my very, very short list uh, of favorites of all time. I mean, just truly, truly love this guy and, and his heart and what he does for the team, how selfless he is. And then he it's, it's not just that, right? He's also in a really elite athlete. But you can't talk about this without talking about Bijan. He looked like a Heisman, especially in the second half. He looked – everyone always says Bijan looks like he's jogging, and that's true. It is true, but, you know, his jogging definitely got him 78 yards. The only person who was close to catching him was Xavier Worthy, who sprinted down there to uh, to not block <laughs> but but impede uh, someone from, from coming on the backside. He's got the breakaway speed that, that, you know, that's been the one knock, basically, on Bijan's game. And you saw it. He just, he's blessed with the preternatural ability to glide where he doesn't have to look like he's running so hard to hit top speed. Um, but I think you, you can't talk about the running game without talking about blocking and not just we'll talk about the O-line, but from the receivers, right on, on both of Bijan's big runs. We went back and, and watched that tape. Um, both of them were behind Jatavian Sanders where he had really great blocks and on the second one it was sprung by Jordan Whittington doing what Jordan Whittington does which is just embarrassing someone about nine yards downfield um, and holding a block so that Bijan could get the edge and get that uh, get that last touchdown so um, definitely kudos to to the line but also to the receivers because this was just um, especially in the second half a really well blocked um, game when you knew you had to lean on your running game yeah, and you can you can see that you mentioned the offensive line. Bijan's long touchdown run. You could watch the play develop in slow motion, where um, like the guard, the the guard and the tackle kind of got their blocks off the line. That Christian Jones continues to be very very impressive this year, but absolutely bodied his man. And then Jatavian Sanders comes around pulling and cleans up the linebacker. And w- if Bijan gets to the second level, you might as well just chalk it up as a W, right? If Bijan gets to the second level, he's going to the end zone. There's not a there's not a player on this planet that I would take one on one with Bijan Robinson in the uh, in the open field. So like that is exactly what he needed to do, and that's what he did there. And that's and Kyle Flood's development of these guys is what's going to be a differentiator for Texas moving forward. If they can look like this against good teams, which they did a week ago, and again you can Alabama the Alabama hem and haul all you want, but the offensive line acquitted itself well against one of the most talented defenses. It what I'll call top five talented defense in the country. Like they could do this each and every week, and if they can block like that, then it doesn't necessarily matter how healthy your quarterback is because if B. John's going for 200 a game. There's not a ton for the quarterback to do. 
Well, and, and I'll just say one more thing, right? It's 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 some scheme, and you have to give Sark some credit, right? When you're trying to keep a um, a hobbled quarterback upright, and when you're trying to stop Bama's crazy pass rush, you know, sometimes it's max protect and you rely on your receiver. So, you know, you have a guy like Xavier Worthy who can win one-on-ones, um, but it's a lot of having Jatavian Sanders as an extra blocker in pass block. It's a lot of Carrick in at tight end, who's basically a sixth lineman, right? Um, Texas doesn't really, you know, ever deploy a fullback, but that's as close to a jumbo set as you get, right, with with those two tight ends, with that big, big uh, tight end in Carrick. So, I, I, that's, that's pure scheme from Sark. We'll, we'll see if that continues to be a theme, and that's floating kind of our offensive line can we drop uh back with with you know no no back and and five blockers and and win right and 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 uh make the the, stretch the field and play downfield we'll we'll see i'm sure we will see that uh especially when yours gets back or if card gets healthy uh, a little bit more but right now it's just about kind of um making sure when last year we got beat because we had players on the edges of tackles and in and, and the run game as well fail at times. That's just a good coach, right? Knowing that that might happen, like scheme it to make them successful. And I think they're on top of that executing. I think you're exactly right that we've had a big step up from, from our tackle play this year and Christian Jones being the common thread in both years. A lot of credit has to go to him, but you know, I mean, the, the whole line, right? I think that the guys who are in there um, just for the most part aren't being noticed and man that's exactly what we asked for in our season preview so we talked about all offseason like just step up to where we don't have to talk about the offensive line I like talking about the offensive line when we get to sing uh their praises but I I I mean I will I do want to see Texas be balanced in the future when there's when that is an option when they're healthy I think they're going to need that in conference absolutely and again you and I love talking about the offensive linemen but when it's when we have to go back to watch and pick out and we you like nitpick them really like the film session for this was pretty nitpicky uh so the offensive line acquitted itself really really well against UTSA and gave the offense a chance to thrive uh and the defense took a minute to do so as well so as we talk about the defense uh, they gave up 17 points in the first quarter which not good. Like we can all agree, like objectively, that's bad. Uh, but after giving up those 17 points in the first quarter, they gave up just three for the rest of the game, which uh, that's good. I don't know if you're if you're keeping score at home, but three points in uh, three quarters, not a lot for a football game. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a clear shift, right? There was a clear um, there was some scheme change. There was some, you know effort and energy uh change there was a little bit of that like the adrenaline wears off for the underdog on an upset right like you can't expect every break to go your way the whole game so it's a combination of those things but i think ultimately again it was the stealing up of that defense it was the okay they saw something on tape they are going to you know when we send a corner blitz they're going to throw a quick little slant or curl right in that in that space and take little bits you know get the ball out of Harris's hands with a with a banged up line right they they were scheming themselves um I will say, just before we talk about our defense, I will give a ton of credit to our guy, Frank Harris, who, Gerald, I know you love. I've often joked your son, Frank Harris. He has this ability, and and we've called for it a lot of years, from Texas quarterbacks to scramble to throw, right, to move the pocket, to extend the play, to get away from a pass rusher, get your eyes downfield. And that's a lot of that's on having a really experienced receiver core who knows what he wants to do, right? A lot of that comes with just reps together. Um, but it, it felt like, you know, he on the run at 
seven to 14 yards is at his best almost that's like he's most comfortable doing that he's not set back and throw it 40 yards to the outside hash that's not his game but evading a rush you know one way getting his eyes up and his his you know feet and shoulders set to throw off platform between a guy's numbers on the run he had a couple of those just really really great throws um we played Bryce Young the week before and I'm not trying to sit here and compare him to the reigning Heisman winner but in both cases it was you know a quarterback extending plays that you know really gave our defense the most fits and 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 in both cases um I don't know that I really blame our defense like that they were terrible it was two really good quarterbacks doing really good examples of in kind of two different ways but of extending plays to make those throws to to stretch a defense to its to its absolute apex and let guys get open just because of the time and because of the angles and because of uh where these receivers are getting into spaces for their quarterback UTSA very clearly saw what they wanted out of Texas and schemed to it right Texas has employed a lot of cornerback blitzes this year and so the the mode of the day, the menu of the day is quick slants, get it out of Frank Harris's hands quickly. And also, again, struggling on the offensive lines like that combination makes for a perfect storm. And we saw Texas really struggled with it uh, at the at the start of the game in the first quarter. Texas obviously fell behind 17 points. Like there's a lot to be said about that was a good plan and a great script from uh from Jeff Trailer and his staff and executed perfectly by Frank Harris. You're right. They're, like the lasting image of this game for me, and it kind of illustrates your point, is the shot where he's kind of scrambling and there's like six Texas players all like right outside of arm's reach from him. Like if they could just get a fingernail on him, he would go down, but he, he's just evading them by like inches, right? It was what it feels like. And he gets the ball off and they complete a first down. And like that to me is, is, um, the mess the 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 message or the 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 outlook on Frank Harris's game is like that's the way it was just he played he carried the team and understandably they took his helmet later in the game when it was like hey this thing's out of reach because he's the kind of kid that wants to come back in and try to win it and so you have to save him for the rest of your season don't put him out there to face a defense that's very clearly going to be teeing off on you because that you frustrated them for the last two hours yeah and, and and again if you if you look at what changed Gerald what you know certainly the the last little bit without Harris uh changed the the the, their offense without him is a bit more toothless without a doubt he's he's for a team of their kind of caliber and where they sit you can't replace him but when he was there they still made adjustments and I think the biggest one um was kind of it wasn't a pure spy but there was some kind of spy element to it but a like a delayed blitz where he just kind of sit back zone uh from Jalen Ford uh in in overshown that made um that made them basically just kind of uh, around for for Harris <clears throat> at the second level, and you saw it with with Jalen Ford. Team I fifteen tackles um, just was everywhere, right? Ten solo tackles that's huge. That's important. That felt like there were times when uh, you know we had a couple guys miss tackles in the open field, and and I felt like Ford. Um, I also thought Anthony Cook. Um, like both both guys who when you know it came to them it was a wall and the guy the runner was was stopped and and Texas needed that right they needed someone to step up and say put these dudes on their keister right quit quit giving them a chance quit playing around <coughs> this running back uh, is not Alabama good right like don't let him get extra yards put this guy down um, and I think you know it, this was a linebacker led defense because the 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 pass rush that we saw against Alabama couldn't quite get home on a really you know agile and mobile quarterback 
it was a linebacker-led performance, and both Ford and Overshone really, really showed up in this one. Absolutely, and, and you know, Jalen Ford, a guy you and I have talked about quite a bit as being somebody that we we really enjoy watching and really love watching him play. He's on pace for 100 tackles this year, which would be the first time since Malik Jefferson five years ago, right? So, like, and that is taken in light of the fact that he had how many how many tackles do you think Jalen Ford had week one, Kyle? <laughs> I I unfortunately know this stat, and I don't be, I, I I couldn't believe it. I I. I, I <laughs> Meant to go back and watch the game again after I saw this because I also looked that up. It's zero, right? He had zero. Zero. Big goose egg for game one. 25 tackles in two games. If he had had any tackles in game one, he would be well. He would be ahead of the pace for 100, ta- for 100 tackles on the year. DeMarvin Novashon had himself a game as well, and he was another one that felt like he turned it on when Texas needed it. Uh, that drive where he was ejected later, he had a pass breakup, and then he had what should have been a sack uh, against Frank Harris to end, to end the drive, really, uh, and they buzzed down from, like, it wasn't even they threw a flag on the field. They buzzed down to review this one even though um i'm just gonna go and say it if that is an illegal tackle you might as well shut down the sport right like how are you supposed to tackle a guy that's that's that much shorter than you uh, other than face up body up and put him down like there's no like that was a form tackle if i've ever seen it uh but apparently this officiating crew thought otherwise so um he demarvin overshone is now going to be uh, ineligible, at least as it stands right now, for the first half of the game on uh, the game on Saturday against Texas Tech. The school is going to appeal this decision, so if they win the appeal, he will be obviously el- eligible to play immediately. Yeah, I mean, it, there, there was some uh, the field photographer released some great photos of it where you actually see this one is great with. You know, Overshone is basically broken through, has a clean shot. Harris can't go anywhere. And like a dad coming to his kid, like, he can't get by him. He just goes big arms, you know, around him. Like, there is no way around yeah. this. You're getting this bear hug, buddy. And uh, and he just basically, you know, form tackle. Didn't lead with a shoulder. Didn't dip his head. Went through a quarterback. Like, just put tackled with his face mask. Went straight through. Uh, quarterback absorbs the power of the hit. The next picture that the photographer released, you see his head go down where, you know, it, it maybe could have looked like something, but basically it's from the hit and overturn just wraps up, doesn't drive to the ground, just takes him to the ground. I mean, it was a good, clean form tackle sack. I would coach every kid in on my entire team to do that exact thing. So the fact that that was called targeting was one of the worst, one of the worst applications of that rule, honest to God, that I have seen. And, and this isn't burnt orange lenses, right? That I have seen, at any level, at, 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 at you know college or pro, especially where they have the the you know ability to replay it, um, I was shocked, shocked that they they took the time to review it and still found it to be targeting. I mean, just bizarre. Poor poor Overshone. You know the last two weeks, two of the honestly most bizarre targeting calls I've ever seen. Luckily, one of them was was you know overturned, but crazy that they both weren't. I mean. Just really, really bizarre call. And it, luckily, it, if anything, it didn't, you know, end up hurting the horns where something crazy happened. It kind of galvanized. I think it pissed off the rest of the team, um, yeah. and, and including the offense, because that was when Card had his scramble right after and Bijan had his big run. Like it, 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 it made them just want to say, like, screw you guys. Like, we, we had to deal with the refs <laughs> against Bama. We're not doing that against UTSA when both are home games, right? Like, the Big 12, clearly not a fan of Texas uh, in maybe our last year. But, anyways, um, Great play overall from Overshone, who flew around with Jalen Ford. Even even uh, 
Tucker Dorsey, I think, was, was, was good. He had the sack, and he had a new number three. Um, he was moving around doing some things, so really great performance all, all in all from the linebackers. Again, this was, this was a, uh, especially in the second half, because in the first half it was very easy to notice where the cornerbacks were out of position because uh, those quick slants were hit pretty quickly, and Frank Harris ran those to perfection. So being able to not see plays develop in real time is kind of a blessing for a Texas offense that's been that bad for a while. But like being able to show off that you can move the spine, uh, that you can, um, like being able, just being able to show off the fact that you're, you can um, get it done, that you can stop stop them at the point of attack and you can um, really shut it down when you need to. And that to me, again, when Texas needed to shut the door, who was it? Jalen Ford to Marvin Overshone. And that to me is, is the story of the defense and how this defense has matured is those guys. And like we mentioned already, Jade Barron uh, kind of sparked the defense in the secondary played really, really well. Um, third, he, he, his pick six not only sparked the team, but is the third non-offensive touchdown of the year for Texas, which is uh, hasn't happened in quite some time. Yeah, they're most since 2015. I think that's uh, really incredible. They have a long season ahead of them. I, I do not mind a team where, you know, we're talking about our defense needs to improve and, and they just every other game are scoring six, right? That's I, I will absolutely take that. Um, he got the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week for it, and, and I think either of those linebackers we just talked about could have had a shot, especially Ford, um, but but very well-deserved for him. The other uh, cornerback I wanted to talk about just briefly, um, it was you know not 100% sure he would be even suiting up, but he played the whole game uh, or until the, the first unit came out, was uh, our guy, the Shark, Mr. Jamison. Um, he had a, a big pass breakup in uh, kind of the midst of, of uh, UTSA being at their most dangerous. In the end zone, he, he jumped one of those slants you were talking about um, to, to knock, you know, to, to take a touchdown off the board and lead to a field goal. So um, pretty big play from him. You know, it wasn't because they were able to get a lot of the short stuff and there were some missed tackles. It wasn't a banner day for four quarters for our cornerbacks, you know, and defensive backs like we talked about in the Alabama game, right? They they really did a lot. Uh, there was coverage sacks in that one, right? Um, I think um, there was a little bit where, you know, they were playing softer and the defense took what they got. It looked a little bit more like last year in the first half, but to their credit, they, they stepped up and made some plays. And so we'll see uh, in the upcoming weeks against some pretty good offenses, uh, how that defensive backfield shakes out. They've got tests coming. They've got tech in West Virginia are going to want to test you, even if they're not good at doing it. Special teams real quickly. UTSA uh, recovered an onside kick in this one to kind of follow that, um, unranked or lower ranked upset uh, schedule schedule's not the right word script there's the right word uh, to follow the script to get a to get a big upset on the road uh, that that onside kick cost Texas Texas was bailing out early on those so they took advantage of it Trejo looks the part on yeah. punts um, no no shots at Isaac Pearson our dude but but Danny Trejo the machete looks like he's uh, the real deal punting it and then Will Stone uh, had seven kickoffs three went were for touchbacks only one went out of bounds that one went out of bounds uh it's actually you know, honestly in my mind a lot of the reason why texas uh, or utsa was able to come up with points because they uh got the ball in a real short field yeah um stone has a little room to improve machete looks great um i think you know you can see the difference between a guy who's just been punting a long time and, and a guy who's you know a good punter and i think machete is a good punter and will we'll gain some more experience 
Um, and, and you saw Banks yell at him a little bit on that one that rolled into the end zone, but hey, sorry, it went 58 yards. You know, that's a good punt. Um, <clears throat> I think at this point it's all it's all found gold with the kids, so really happy for it. And Burt Auburn really liked that, you know, basically if you can just get the hold down, um, you know, he, he's pretty consistent as what he's showing. He hit from 44 just before the, the half and 26 on, on Texas' final drive of the day. So um, looks to be stable. Uh, pretty much the, the issues have been when the hold – has been bad. So if they can get the snap and the hold figured out, it looks like Auburn has a good leg and he's going to be a consistent kicker for us. Hopefully, Burt Orange gets it done for Texas. Quick Podstradamus update for you. Kyle, I tied it. Thanks to your benevolence. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Uh, te- your Podstradamus predictions were that Texas would have two completions longer than 30 yards. We missed on that one, but you did have Frank Harris less than his season uh, average at 315 total yards. He went under with 260. I fully hit on 200 team rushing yards. Uh, and then we, we had a discussion about the uh, the second one here, Kyle. And, and uh, it feels right to me, but that's probably because I'm the beneficiary of it. Uh, but... My other positive I was pick was that Texas would have at least two sacks, and we had one confirmed sack and one that, uh, pending an investigation from the Big 12, uh, may not come out to be illegal um, because they're appealing to Marvin Overshone's suspension. Yeah, I, I'll give it to you. I, I don't know. Do they go back and, and change the, the, the stat books? I don't know. At the end of the year, I'm sure Overshone will lobby for it if he gets overturned. Give me that he sack. Should. Give me that sack. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll give it to you either way, Gerald. Um, I definitely missed on the two completions greater than 30. I thought um, there was just that, that, that Card or even if Charles Wright got in there would get a chance to let one loose. I thought I was really banking on an Xavier Worthy wiggle, you know, to, to get so wide open that, that even you and I could hit him on a deep route. We didn't quite have that. You, again, the, the game plan was Card only threw it uh, greater than, than 20 yards five times. Uh, so, you know, th- that, that hurt me a bit there, but I was being a bit wishful. Um, Frank Harris' season total was not 315. It was 394, uh, which led the FBS. So he was uh, – Texas uh, cut that down to 260, uh, a little bit, you know, like 60%. It's a pretty good uh, showing against him. Um Admittedly, they did have a trick play that took up uh, some of those passing yards, but uh, good, good Potsdamus from us. Uh, if only a, a atrociously missed one from me on the the long the long bombs. I will just say, Gerald, real quick, a miscellaneous that I wanted to throw in there. Um, Texas has not committed a turnover since Ewers' interception on the opening drive. Uh, ULM had two interceptions of Bryce Young, uh, so they're a team that knows how to get interceptions on elite five-star quarterbacks, I guess. Um, so give them that. Uh, but Texas has not committed a turnover since the the opening drive of the season. That's really great. That's an incredible way to cap uh, non-conference. Um, again, when you've had went from a a freshman quarterback to a question mark quarterback with injuries all over, uh, very impressed that that they've been able to keep that up. So next up for Texas, heading to Lubbock. First road game of the year uh, to take on Texas Tech on, at 2.30. It'll be here on ESPN. Kyle and I will be here post-game to give you all of our instant reactions and updates on the Texas Longhorns game. Quickly, let's jump into our college football update and tell you what's going on around uh, the world of college football. We'll start with the Big 12. OU uh, did not let Nebraska get the dead cat bounce that they thought they would and beat the brakes off of them 49 to 14. Um, Casey Thompson, I think, becomes the first quarterback to lose to OU as the starting quarterback for two different schools uh, and worked hard to get that done. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the day that a, a OU uh, quarterback transfer was lambasting his other school, Troy Aikman, talking about UCLA's attendance numbers, Casey Thompson was showing that you don't want to play Casey Thompson in the first quarter if you're <laughs> OU. Uh, in his past two first quarters against OU last year with Texas and this year with Nebraska, my guy is 12 for 15, 254 yards, four touchdowns, zero INTs. Because I don't, I don't want to, you know, disparage poor Casey. I will not list stats for the rest of the quarters. I will just say first quarter Casey Thompson is OU's nightmare. Um, fortunately, got a playoff for. Maybe there's a strategy for them to like let Casey play early and then sub somebody behind him. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. Oklahoma State stomps uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff sixty-three to seven. We haven't really learned anything about uh, Oklahoma State this year, have we? Yeah, so their their wins are against an Arizona State team that this week fired Herm Edwards, right? The Herm Herm experiment uh, is is done. Um, hate that they did it to the poor guys. He was walking off the field. It looks like, but um, so yeah, that was a closeish game, especially in the first half. Um, there were like. I was at I was at a wedding this past weekend that was a bunch of Arizona State fans were talking about that game and basically said they felt like they gave it away more than than uh, OSU won it. Which again, if you're a top ten team and Arizona fired their coach, you definitely want a little bit more than that. And then CMU they let come back and and make it interesting, right? It looked like it was your classic week one blowout, but then second half we talked about that CMU March. So uh, a big win against Pine Bluff, but I'm not w- willing to say. Oklahoma State is not good. I'm just also not convinced that they've had any, you know, amount of test that can then give us proper data points to say if they are. We'll find out. The conference play starts up right now. Uh, we'll talk more about Texas Tech on Thursday, but they fell to North Carolina State on the road 27 to 14. Baylor went to Waco and struggled. So many of us have done that. Or not Waco. Baylor went to San Marcos and did what so many of us have done uh, on or near the Texas State campus, uh, struggled quite a bit for various <laughs> reasons. Uh, West Virginia got their first win over to- uh, in the season over Tosin, 65-7. Iowa State uh, just beat up a hapless Ohio team. Kansas State fell to Tulane. Kansas State fell to Tulane. The Kansas State is going to win. The conference agenda has always bothered me. And finally, it's uh, gone past life support and is fully uh, on a do not resuscitate. In Kansas, perhaps the talk of the town, the talk of the season, if you took Kansas over two and a half, go ahead and cash that ticket. They improved to three and O with a 48 to 30 win over U of H. Yeah, U of H, uh, interesting team, the way they factored in with a lot of the teams we have played or will be playing. Transitive victories are, are wild right now, but uh, Kansas looks good. They look like a competent and good team, good defense. They they you know have an offense that tight end who who you know caught a, a two point conversion and got an Applebee's endorsement against us continues to catch passes. Um, they're they're doing some things. So really interesting. Um, We'll see how it shakes out as they get into the grind of the Big 12, but they are definitely not a doormat. I think if they get four wins, if they win, you know, this next one against also undefeated Duke um, in football, we're talking about Kansas and Duke both undefeated, um, it will be their first four-win season since, like, 2008. Total. Wins total. Not 4-0 and season. <laughs> season with four wins. So in, in at least, like, 12 years, 15 years. So, um Crazy. I mean, this is truly unprecedented, uh, the, the things that are happening out there. Um, State of Kansas, real, real interesting one, and I'm sure K-State fans have just been hating every second of it. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, it's going to be a crabs in a barrel year in the Big 12, and Kansas might be the biggest crab as it stands right now. Quickly through the rest of the country, Georgia continued to Georgia people, 48-7 to over South Carolina. Alabama got all of its frustrations. I don't want to apologize to everybody for letting Alabama uh, win its its wake-up game this year, 63-7 to over ULM. Bobby Petrino walked into uh, Fayetteville and tried to uh, troll everybody and and. Unfortunately, not fortunately, really, fortunately, because Bobby Petrino doesn't deserve good things. Uh, but uh, Arkansas won, held on 38-27, and in perhaps the worst game of the weekend, uh, Texas A&M beat Miami, and I, I guess I'd never watched Mario Cristobal coach football before, but his placid demeanor is an accurate reflection of his level of aggression as a coach. Like, dude is just blank. Yeah, I mean, this was this was like two not good teams, but because Miami was super overrated at 13, they've since dropped out, and, you know, A&M still gets the bounce from the beginning of the season when people thought they were a playoff team. This had a premier slot, and this was really like a, you know, a battle of a, of a seven-win team versus six-win team if it happened at the end of a season, right? I don't think either of these teams showed to be any good. Aggies, you know, I think still uh, only have four red zone trips on the year. Uh, they've they've done some special teams, so good for them on that. Um, but neither of these offenses had any life. I mean, they're just bad. Um, lots of crazy stuff off the field with A&M, so I guess kudos to them for battling through suspensions and uh, some some bad culture stuff that's going on there. Um, mm. I, you know, I, I don't know. They, they they got the bounce back from the App State, which App State is the most interesting team after winning on a Hail Mary while hosting game day uh, against Troy. Wild stuff. Um, the Aggies bounce back, I guess, from that. So, so give them some level of credit. But you can't feel great if you're an Aggie fan. You can't feel great after that one. You definitely shouldn't feel great about that but that's our update on the college football landscape we'll have uh, more of that for you just how it how it reflects upon texas next week so now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40 starting off with the best team on the campus number one volleyball had another solid week. Uh, Houston decided to see uh, get a little testy and came away with a three to one win. Texas came away with a three to one win over Houston after the Cougars decided to get a little testy and win the opening set twenty five to seventeen. Texas cruised in the middle two and then had to get it out a little bit in the fourth to come away with the win. Logan Eggleston did Logan Eggleston things in that one. The stars showed up when it was crunch time for the Longhorns. Yeah, I think Eggleston took that one personally, uh, just trying to get you know twenty kills as quickly as she could. Um, Houston spicy on the the court. Also, uh, the Texas fans were letting them have it for uh, an off the field incident that involved some some racist stuff from one of their players. And so good on Texas fans. A doing their homework, doing their scouting, keeping the yeah. chance topical, and also not letting the, that nonsense fly. Uh, I we've said it uh, once. We said it a thousand times. Best atmosphere on campus is Gregory Gymnasium for a Texas volleyball game. Good on you, volleyball fans. Keep up the good work uh, the on Friday was a ho-hum day at the office sweeping high point uh, didn't need a ton from the big hitters Madison Skinner was the story of the night yeah I mean Skinner Parr Eggleston all really good I mean this we've said it before these 
it's hard to just pin down these are the two stars three stars i mean this is a six seven eight nine star team who can uh, almost anyone can show up but those are names you'll certainly be hearing skinner all year eggleston uh para uh fleck i mean the, these are these are the stars of this season so next for Texas Open Up Conference play on Wednesday against KU before coming home to host OU on a night where they're honoring the 2012 National Championship team. Uh, it feels fitting because uh, Texas is going to win a natty this year. Oh, I love it. Uh, you've heard it here first. Patriamas predictions, baby. Ten years. Number 20, Soccer. Gets a 2-2 draw with UCF. Uh, Lexi Missimo and Trinity Byer scored for Texas. Um, this... It was a less than uh, stellar outcome for the offense after a big outpouring a couple of days ago. Well, I mean, the, the, every, anything had to be less, right? The, the 8-0 thrashing of Texas Southern was just program records all over. Shots 54, shot differential plus 52. That's right, 54-2 to two was the shots UT versus Texas Southern. Shots on goal 28. Honestly, giving up eight goals, the player of the match was uh, Texas Southern's goalkeeper who had, you know, 30 saves so or uh, 20 you know, some odd saves. So really incredible effort to keep it 8-0. Um, but then uh, they played a really good UCF team. Um, had an own goal that put them down 2-1 after Mismo opened it and looked like they might, you know, end up going down on it, but fought back to get the 86-minute equalizer. Um, it was a tough one, right? They, but ultimately, they're un, unbeaten uh, since the number one team in the nation got them, right? So uh, they have gone seven straight now without losing and are a top 20 team, and they look every bit of it. So uh, they win big. They win, you know, find ways to pull out draws close. They have a lot of fight in this team. I, I, I think they they have a good season ahead of them. Lots of green grass and goals ahead of them. Number nine, men's golf finishes 10th. little lackluster opening for them at the Olympia Fields Fighting Illini Invitational. Um, after a, a national championship last year, it's all about how you rebound, and uh, this was not a great way to start the year. Yeah, you wonder, is it a rebuild or a reload, right? You have uh, Travis Vick, who you know now is the guy with no cooties, no hammer, who've been there for such a long <laughs> time. no cooties. Yeah, uh, who've been there for such a long time, so it's definitely going to be uh, different. Um, the, the most exciting debut, I guess, is from Christian Moss, the freshman who uh, led the team, uh, Team Low Four over, but still, again, not you know not where they want to be. So um, the fall is always a time to calibrate. You saw the Cooties were hurt last year, and Texas didn't look anything like a national championship team, so it's all about getting it right at the right time in spring. Uh, fall is kind of just, just where you see who's going to be competing and getting that final mix. So um, a lot of golf still to be played, but probably not the opener they wanted as defending champs. Not as much golf in the fall, though. They've, they're off till October 3rd, and then that's their last invitational tournament before an NCAA tournament, Big 12 match play, and then the NCAA closer. Uh, so not a ton of golf in the fall. So get it together, guys. We'd love to see you uh, bring some. We need your help to repeat for this Director's Cup. Get it together. On the other side of the links, number 15 women's golf finished second at the Annika tournament, uh, shot a tournament best five under third round, and finished with a combined team two under for their weekend. Yeah, final round was really great. Moved them up some spots. Uh, sophomore Bo Park looks, you know, 
incredible. Uh, finished tied for second place with seven under, just off the leader. Um, really looks like she's going to anchor that team as a sophomore. Just looks much more mature than that. Freshman Cindy uh, Hugh had a nice uh, debut as well. Moved up 17 spots in the final two rounds for a top 10 finish in her debut. That's the type of debuts you're looking for um, in this fall. Uh, the Anika had everybody, right? There's like you know 15 ranked teams here. So uh, Texas getting a second place finish definitely bodes well for the season. And finally, men's tennis had a strong showing to kick off their fall season at the Southern Intercollegiate Championships in Athens. They split with Georgia, one of the best teams in the country, on Friday, uh, but had five ranked wins versus USC on Saturday. Yeah, and then won seven of eight against Virginia, including sweeping five singles uh, contests on Sunday. Uh, That's ultimately just looks really good for, again, uh, fall tennis is, is just about getting things right they they uh had a win over the number four singles player for uva in the country so i mean it's uh it's a good showing i think you know is as good a start as you could have hoped for for this team next up for them traveling to nashville for the commodore invitational while the women open up their season next week with the ita texas regional in fort worth now's part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, Gerald, you, you saw the very odd uh, broadcasting situation where Sam Acho needed multiple jackets for uh, the multiple hats he was wearing. He had to head down uh, to be honored, and congrats to our guy Sam, uh, literal friend of the friend show, of the been, show. A, been on this podcast and, and just a, one of the all-time humans. Um, kudos to him getting uh, into the, the Hall of Honor. Actually, absolute honors to all of uh, the recent uh, inductees there. One who stood out, the pictures were hilarious because he was by far the tallest, and I think they intentionally stood him next to like a five-eight tennis player. Um, but it was Kevin Durant, human giant, uh, who, who um, much like Sam, was there this weekend um, to be inducted, uh, was present. Um, while Sam went down from the booth, Durant was there. Durant was there all week, right? If you remember from the Alabama game, he got some screen time there. Kevin Durant, big football game, followed by big honor for an, another football game, right? Uh, Easily could have flown back to New York or anywhere else. But the thing that I love about Kevin Durant, and, and I know there's, you know, things that can be said about him and he's social. He's as, as you know, clinically online as Gerald and I, right? He's he's always online. <laughs> he's he's uh, a bit um, sensitive to the, the, the way he's perceived online and the comments about him. And he will respond to guys with an egg in their picture and six followers. You know, it's... Uh, Durant is is very active and and sometimes some people say to his detriment and uh, the the interesting thing about where he plays and and so there's been the the meter on Durant nationally has been a little bit negative lately but I just want to go ahead and say like whatever you think whatever team you support if Durant's not honored or you don't like how he's in if you're a Longhorn fan you have to love Kevin Durant I mean. He was here one year, but the amount he has done for this program is really incredible. The the you know the KD Nike collab, basically you know what he does for recruiting, um, what he does just to to lift the the status of this program. Sure, TJ Ford is is the guy who who you know brought us out of kind of the the swamps and into you know the the nice beautiful hardwoods uh, of of March Madness, but but 
Durant really took us to that next level. And I saw the MVP odds recently. There's four uh, non-Americans, which is incredible state of the global game. But Durant was fifth this year with uh, the highest ranking American in MVP odds. Um, but still one of the best basketball players on the planet, right? Um, the fact that he stayed around all week, played basketball with the current UT squad, practiced with him, hung out with Coach Beard, and hung out with with recruits, right? There was the, first the story was that the 2024 number one overall prospect, Trey Johnson, uh, a Texas kid who, you know, would be huge for Beard and, and the Longhorns to get on campus, he was there recruiting. Like, I don't know that there's a better, honestly, LeBron didn't go to college. I don't know that there is a better single player to recruit for a university than Kevin Durant for UT. So the fact that he stuck around to do that and also uh, some other recruits who were here uh, between the Bama game and this weekend, including uh, number 28 overall, uh, four-star uh, Wesley Yates was on a visit. So uh, just really great, really cool for these guys to get to hang with Durant. Really cool that Durant does that. So uh, nice to hear a really good story. And again, from a, from a Longhorn perspective, you couldn't ask more from your superstar than to be this connected and, and do this much for the program while he's still playing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy who very much loved the university and loves being a part of it and loves to rep Texas. And, you know, you see him at a lot of the big games during the, the offseason. He's a guy who um, really appreciates having a home like this, and we're, we're very appreciative of him. So I'm banging the drum this week quickly on two things. A guy that you and I love to talk about, Puna, um, showed up to the uh, Seattle Seahawks game this weekend wearing a mental health is real shirt with a hotline number on it. Um, and you and I have talked a lot about mental health and, and how uh, much we advocate for like people getting help and not suffering in silence. It's like it's always the invisible diseases that, that really hurt because you feel like you're alone. So like you're not alone. We love you. We care about you. Like if you need to talk, find somebody um, you are. You are totally worth it. But I'm also banging the drum this week on um, – a story that like spun out of control very, very quickly before the DeMarvian Overshone thing happened. So Sam Khan is an incredible uh, writer. He's very well connected, very well respected in, in Texas, kind of came up covering you know football in the state and now works for the athletic uh, big time nationally. But he did he did a story that was innocuous on the surface of a like. Let's take you inside what happens on an elite recruiting weekend, right? And it was talking about everything that Texas did on the big recruiting weekend when Arch Manning was on campus, right? Kind of one of the pivotal weekends. Uh, and it came out that Texas spent like $280,000 on that and, and other recruiting-related expenses during the visits, right? And it wasn't like there was nothing like – Sam's point of the story was not that number, right? Like it was the headline grabber, but it wasn't that number. The point of the story was like nobody, like nobody's ever really done a story like that of like what happens on these massive uh, recruiting weekends. Sam, uh, obviously, the thing that gets plucked is Texas spends two hundred eighty dollars to two hundred eighty thousand dollars to recruit Arch Manning, which the lack of nuance there is very impressive. There were nine other players on that weekend, including six other top one hundred and fifty um, top. You know, 247 composite top 150 uh, players in the nation, right? Like, it was nine kids. It wasn't, like, and I know that we all, like, you and I are, we're not rich. We don't get rich off this podcast, right? Um, like, you see a, a $280,000 price tag, and you balk at it. Like, naturally, right? You get some sticker shock because, like, that's, you know, a lot of people's houses, right? Like, you could pay off most, if not all, of your house. Maybe not in this market now, but, like, two years ago, you could have paid off your entire house for that. Um, but Texas is, like, 
seventh, eighth in the country in recruiting spending, right? And like, I'm just going to be really honest with you. Uh, Texas got four of those nine kids to jump on the boat and then nine other players the, the week after, within the seven days after Arch Manning committed on top of guys like Cedric Baxter out of Florida, considering Texas and eventually jumping on the ship because of Arch Manning, um, I'd have paid three times that. Like, <laughs> I would have. Like, the, the context of that is missing there is that that is what every school does. Every elite school that's recruiting on the level of Texas does that. They spend that kind of money on these weekends, and it seems ridiculous. But let's just, again, put it in perspective. The University of Texas was the number one income-generating football team, athletic department in the country, period, right? And so the return on investment for that kind of recruiting weekend is astronomical, right? Texas brings in way more money than they put out on these recruiting visits. And that's the point. It is capitalism working to a T. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's you said it, right? I, the numbers haven't been revealed for other... The Aggies have their big pool party. Uh, Alabama has big weekends. I mean... You'll never get the full pool party number, Kyle. And, and, and you shouldn't, honestly, right? Like, these things don't have to be put out there, right? I, I thought the story was interesting. The, the, the backlash was wild. But, I mean, you're talking about hotels for these families, food. I mean, my brother was a medium recruit uh, years ago, and, and we went to A&M and, you know, various schools on, on recruiting trips for him. And they rolled out the red carpet in you know the 90s right like in the early 2000s um it was different but still i mean it was it was food for the families and accommodations and there's got to be an ooh and an ah factor i mean that that has never stopped um it, it's just that someone thought to quantify it um i, I think that number again pretty drastic like things are expensive these days hotels are expensive game day operations are expensive getting you know logistics and just uh, things are expensive like i don't think i think this is an incredible non-story but from gerald's takeaway i agree like so even if it even if this was a number that was so much i don't think it is bigger than other schools like it's so not. it worked and you know it's not and it worked so cool um and I'll just say this one last time. I've answered this question so many times just to people in person or in text or whatever. Arch Manning's recruitment was different. You weren't going to spend yeah. and buy his commitment. You, that number could have been $7 million on one visit, and it would not have changed Arch going to Texas for somewhere else. That was not – if there ever was one recruit that it was not about the money, ever, it's Arch Manning. So the fact that you're conflating these two as a story just eh, it's it's a little 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 uh, junior high if you don't think georgia spent that much money if not more georgia was the number one the last publicly disclosed recruiting budget numbers georgia was number one by a big margin uh and they won a national championship partially because of that right so like these things are worth it and two like quit crying about it like if you're mad your team lost the recruiting, then don't don't be broke. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Kerbin. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We will be back, Lord willing, on Thursday with your Texas Tech preview. Until then, hook them. Hook them. Free demo.